Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Every year, Greece's Aegean islands go through tens of millions of plastic water bottles, as the islands look to accommodate not only the needs of local residents, but also millions of tourists. This has transformed these communities into some of the biggest consumers of plastic. This dependence on bottled water inevitably impacts the environment, as much of this plastic ends up in the sea. Greece's government has taken steps to wean the islands onto more sustainable water sources, such as by constructing desalination plants and pipelines, but challenges remain. Journalists Peter Schwartzstein and Alexander Klapp join the Greek Current to discuss their recent piece in Bloomberg that looks into Greece's dependency on plastic bottles, its environmental impact, and the steps that are being taken to address this problem. Peter Schwartzstein is an environmental journalist covering the Eastern Mediterranean and the Middle East, and Alexander Klapp is an Athens-based independent journalist. Peter, Alexander, welcome on to The Greek Current. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Thanos, for having us. In your recent piece for Bloomberg, you point out that per capita consumption of bottled water in Greece is among the EU's highest, and it's significantly greater on the Aegean islands than in the country at large. What are some of the reasons for this dependency on plastic bottles? It's a good question. And I mean, as is often the case, there's no sort of easy, easy answer. However, in the case of the islands, it's pretty meshed up with the pretty extraordinary numbers of tourists that these places attract. Now, many of the the Cycladic islands in particular have never been very water rich. But then when you add those sort of pre-existing scarcities, those pre-existing dearths of resources to the pretty titanic numbers of people who've been flooding in from elsewhere in Europe and further afield over the past few decades, you end up with just a serious mismatch of supply and demand. So part of the equation is the fact that the likes of Santorini are just victims of their own beauty. But part of it is just decades worth of chronic sort of short-termism on the part of both the Greek state and of kind of many businesses and individuals on these islands who just allowed this kind of natural mismatch in resources to translate into kind of an utter dependence on unsustainable bottled water to kind of fill their needs. So that's a a very, very quick kind of incomplete potted history of what's happened. Alexander, I want to turn to you. You know, what's the overall environmental impact of relying on so much bottled water? Is there any data that shows how this is affecting the Mediterranean and Aegean seas? Yeah, so the overall impact is devastating. According to the WWF, Nearly 34,000 plastic water bottles entered the Mediterranean Sea on any given minute. The Mediterranean is one of the most microplastic-infested bodies of water on the planet, and the Aegean happens to be one of the most polluted parts of the Mediterranean. There are some scholars who think that within the next two decades, the amount of plastic in the Mediterranean will, by volume, exceed the number of fish. And as a follow-up, how does this play out on the islands? Is there a problem with waste management, for example? Do we see a lot of plastic? Because you don't hear much about what happens with all the plastic bottles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the beaches themselves tend to be lined with microplastics. There are many islands that have severe trash crises, Egina and Corfu, famously. We, in our reporting, went to the island of Kalimnos, which has no place to put the plastic because it's an island with many cliffs and the plastic will fall into the sea if they attempt to bury it. So the only solution for the last generation or so is to actually been to burn the plastic, which has severe consequences on the respiratory health of the people of the island. Peter, the connection between plastic pollution and climate change has been well established, and the issue was one of the topics under discussion at the recent COP26 climate conference that took place in Glasgow. Greece has committed to take aggressive action to reduce its emissions 
and just introduced a new climate law. What steps is the Greek government, which you write insists is aware of the problem of plastic pollution, taking to reduce the island's dependency on bottled water? Yeah, I mean, in in Greece, as in so many, if not most countries in the world, you've got kind of a bit of a disconnect between government rhetoric and reality. Now, in the case in Athens, the state is talking more and more about the necessity of climate action. It's talking more about the need to massively bolster environmental management. However, for the time being, that is sort of mostly rhetorical lip service. Now you're seeing kind of more and more campaigning in Athens airport and an array of other places sort of talking up the need for improved plastic disposal. And you are seeing some concrete action. It's it's unfair to say that, that none of that is translating into action in the ground. Like, for example, in the past five or six years in particular, there has been an escalation in the pace of kind of desalination plant construction, as with the pipeline heading from Salamina and the Greek mainland towards Egina. There has been kind of somewhat of an acceleration in the pace of some of these pipeline constructions to some of the, the kind of more accessible islands. And after kind of so many decades of kind of really pitifully slow progress on some of those, that is noteworthy. However, much, much more remains to be done to turn those sort of big flamboyant promises that you're seeing come out of Athens and so many other capitals into action on the scale that is necessary. And this isn't just an issue that Greece faces, correct? Absolutely not. I mean, Greece is in many ways simply an example of kind of many of these unsustainable practices that are kind of horribly prevalent throughout the region. It's, I guess, in Greece's case, it's because of the importance of the tourism sector and how heavily that kind of tourism sector is grounded in the beauty of the natural landscape. It's that you could argue that Greece has more to lose than most from its own poor environmental record and the poor environmental record of pretty much all of its neighbors. There's one issue that you highlight in your piece, and that's the issue of the Nerulades, or the watermen, who are private operators that are paid hundreds of millions of taxpayer euros by the government to ship mainland water to islands on tanker vessels. The government has said that it's cracking down on this group as well as the other steps that it's taking. Who are they and why are the watermen so important to the story? So the Nerulades, or the watermen, there are about half a dozen powerful family-held shipping companies that in the late 1970s or so began providing water to the Greek islands. The 1970s coincided with the spike in tourism and the depletion of many of the aquifers of many of the islands, which meant that water actually had to be brought in from the mainland in order for these islands to sustain themselves. The Nerolades operate from three main ports. There's the town of Asprobergos, which is to the west of Athens and services islands like Mykonos. To the east of Athens, there's the port of Rafina, which services islands like Tsia. And some Nerolades operate out of the island of Rhodes, and they service the Dodecanese Islands near Turkey. So I think the most important thing to know about the Nerolades is that they're an incredibly expensive solution and that they're actually not quite a solution. So our reporting found that the shipments of water they bring to an island like Patmos can cost 27,000 euros. And an island like Patmos in the summer needs several shipments of water per day. The other thing is that the water that they bring is not actually drinkable. It's full of sediment and sometimes mixed with salt water. So it's an expensive non-solution to Greece's water problems. As you mentioned, the government has undertaken projects such as building a pipeline to connect the island of Aegina to the mainland and accelerating the setting up of desalination plants. How are these initiatives viewed when looking at it from the perspective of the islanders? I think there's sort of two parts to that answer. The first is that after I mean, years or many decades in some instances of relying 
on bottled water for drinking on most of the islands. There's a certain suspicion of kind of anything that comes out of their taps. When you have a dependence that extends for that long, you develop habits and breaking them is an exceptionally difficult thing that can often take, I mean, almost as long to unlearn as it took to develop in the first place. So when you have these desalination facilities, when you have these pipelines, even though you've got kind of myriad technical experts attesting to the cleanliness of their water, it can be very difficult to convey to islanders that this water that's now coming out of their taps is very different to the overly salty or perhaps slightly dirty water that was coming out of their taps pre-construction of desalination facilities, pre-construction of pipelines. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is, I mean, even when you have islanders, as you do in many, many, many instances, who are very keen to see the construction of these desalination facilities and pipelines, there's a, a pretty deep skepticism on their part that these projects will actually come to fruition. And you can very easily understand how and why they've come to think that. The government, and particularly the local municipalities, have this decades-long tendency to sort of overpromise and underdeliver. And when or if projects are completed, more often than not, it seems to be years or many decades after they're first proposed. So you get a real kind of, um, I'll believe it when I see it type mentality from these islanders as well, and, and again, with, with very good reason. I want to turn to one of the success stories that you wrote about in your piece, and that's the story of the island of Lipsy and its mayor, who managed to cut the island's plastic bottle waste in half and wean the island off its dependence on these watermen. Can you talk about this island and its mayor's efforts? You know, is this a model that could serve other islands as well? Yeah, so Lipsy is a small island about 25 miles from the coast of Turkey. Its mayor is a charismatic man named Fotis Mangos, whose father was mayor of the island about a generation earlier. I would say that he did two crucial things that have set Leipzig apart. The first is that he installed desalination kiosks at convenient places along Leipzig's port. And then he incentivized locals to try out this desalinated water by making it free for half of the month. So this got locals used to the idea of desalinated water, a willingness to try it and a willingness to trust it. The second thing that Mayor Mangos did was that he developed a trash collection system that sold Leipzig's garbage back to Athens. He did this at profit, and then he used the money that the island made to streamline its recycling and make it even more environmentally friendly. Leipzig is a small island, but I think the, the example is replicable on other Greek islands. We spoke to one source whose main argument was that Mr. Mangos is just a very determined man, and that's all this really takes, someone with a vision and a determination to get this done. And you can already see other islands nearby that are looking to Leipzig as an example I'm thinking of the islands of Astipaldia or Paros, for instance. This question is for the both of you, but what do you see as the biggest challenges that Laia had here? I'll quickly come out with perhaps two points. The, the first one of which is that kind of however big the improvements that Greece makes to its environmental record and its sort of water and plastic distribution networks, and as we have been saying, an enormous amount of work needs to be done, but however much progress it might make, that progress has to be done in concert with all of its neighbors around the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean is a pretty small sea in the grand scheme of things. It's a semi-enclosed sea, which means that there's one narrow outlet to the Mediterranean through the Straits of Gibraltar. And so even if Greece makes those very necessary drastic improvements to its environmental record, those will count for little unless the 21 or so other states that border the sea continue to pollute in the ways that they are. So that's one. And the second thing that we need to see is kind of greater 
action on the part of kind of many in the private sector, many in the tourism and hospitality industry, because even though they have an enormous kind of economic, like financial vested interest in the continuing kind of beauty and relative cleanliness of the sea, many of them are doing very, very little. They continue to act as if this is the problem of, of the state or of individuals, and they need to take a bigger part in all of this. Yeah, I would agree with Pete on both points. I would add that one thing that needs to change is, is just the omnipresence of plastic water bottles in the first place. I think we've all probably been to a Greek beach taverna or cafe, and if you order something without asking, they come and bring you a little plastic bottle of water, often for free. This is the type of thing that needs to stop if plastic is going to stay out of the Aegean. The other thing I would say is that desalination will still need to get cheaper in order for any of this to become really sustainable. The thing about Greek islands, though, is that they're blessed with extraordinary potential green resources. You could imagine a situation, for instance, where islands are running on solar panels and by wind energy, and that they're using this to desalinate water. And we could foresee a scenario in which these islands once again become self-sufficient in their water needs, much as they were throughout most of their thousands of years of history. Peter, Alexander, thank you both for joining us on The Greek Current. It's great speaking with you. Thank you, Thanos. Thanks for having us. In other news, Greece on Monday introduced a wide range of new restrictions aimed at curbing a COVID-19 infection spike that has pushed the rate of death to nearly double the European Union average. A government order went into effect through December 6th, mandating masks at all workplaces, staggering opening hours in the public and private sector, and allowing access for adults to indoor recreation and entertainment areas only to those carrying a certificate of vaccination or recent recovery. The measures were imposed after ICU occupancy for COVID-19 treatment exceeded 90%. Meanwhile, Greek authorities on Monday announced 7,287 new cases of coronavirus and 105 fatalities in a 24-hour period. Finally, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis on Sunday again appealed to his UK counterpart Boris Johnson to return the Parthenon sculptures, urging him to seize the moment to bring the sculptures back home in an article published by the UK newspaper Mail on Sunday. Stressing Johnson's education in the classics, Mitsotakis said that he was uniquely placed among British prime ministers to understand the significance of the sculptures for Greece and why one of the few dividing lines between Greece and the UK needs to be resolved. According to Mitsotakis, there could be no greater manifestation of Johnson's vision for a new, self-confident, open, and truly global Britain than to repatriate the sculptures. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.